0: A few years ago, I sat across from a serial killer, trying to get him to tell me where his victim, named Colleen Reed from Austin, Texas, whom he had abducted from a car wash in Austin in late December of that year, and tortured and killed and buried I sat across from him trying to get him to tell me where she was. A week before that, I was by myself in the woods north of Waco, Texas. Following the details the killer had given regarding an earlier victim, I following the directions, found her grave and dug down with my hands far enough to find her bones by myself on a Friday afternoon. How did that frightened little boy you've been hearing about become the person I just described that was able to do those things? So, if you've been listening along the way and heard pretty much everything, you know that I was a very fearful child. I was one frightened child. Afraid of what? Well, everything. Afraid of losing someone, like I'd lost my mom. Afraid of any loss. Afraid of the uncertainty and the cruelty of life that I had experienced those were somewhat abstract fears maybe not imminent but just overriding fears as I described them like a heavy cloth draped across the shoulder of me at the time <clears throat> but those fears were very real to me and they were almost paralyzing at times but then there was the practical fear, the physical fear. What do I mean by that? As you heard, I became, as I call it, enchanted when I was about seven or so. After my mom's death set in on me at, that, at about that age, I pretty much stopped growing. And a small boy... In a world of big boys, is a bad place to be. <clears throat> you heard about, if you listen to the particular episode when I was playing football, try to keep playing football even though I didn't really grow, and so I got knocked out, knocked out cold playing football. <clears throat> that helped me begin to realize there was a danger in being small, a very real danger. So my abstract fear became very real and practical to me. What did that involve? Well, that was a fear of being beaten up by someone, uh, being uh, harassed and shoved around, which happened from time to time. Not real bad, though. Um, just for fun, other guys would throw me around, literally throw me. <laughs> they weren't being mean. They were just having fun. They would throw me around. When I was little working at a place one time, they had a, uh, um, a loading hook, kind of like a little crane that lifted up um, recycled um, cardboard and everything. It was at a grocery store I worked at, <clears throat> and they had a big winch and a hook, and they this guy that worked there, I was so little, he hooked me by my belt to the winch thing, and in and then turned it on and lifted me up in the the air. And that didn't frighten me. That just made me realize I was little. And so, as I have said, I think it's bad to confirm fears in a child. If kids have fears to begin with of different things, all kids have fears of different things, try not, let's try not to confirm it because it just, it sets in on them that there's a reason to be afraid. And something happened when I was a teenager. Something happened that confirmed sort of a mix of the very real physical and the abstract fear. I had worked in restaurants as a dishwasher and busboy when I was 14 and 15, but I got a really great job in a grocery store by the time I was 16, and, um, you know, packaging, taking people's groceries out. And I was, I'll tell you, next time about what I ended up doing, I ended up run, being a runner, trying to run, because I couldn't do other sports, but I could run. And so there was a race in Dallas, in Dallas, Texas, every year back then called the Turkey Trot. And it was on Thanksgiving morning. And back then it was an eight mile run and all of my friends on my cross country, you know, distance team would run that. I think we were even required to run it every year and see how we did at eight mile distance. And so I was scheduled to work at the grocery store the night before that run. And usually that, um, working at the grocery store the night or the evening and nighttime, you had to mop the sweep the whole store and mop the whole store, and usually didn't get out till about eleven to midnight, depending on how everything went. And so, the night before Thanksgiving, when I was sixteen or maybe seventeen, so that I didn't have to be up as late. A friend of mine that also worked there switched with me. I asked him if he would switch um, and let me work for him in a couple of days, if he would work for me the night before Thanksgiving so I could have a little bit of rest before I ran that race early the next morning. And he, he agreed to. He agreed to do that. And that night at that grocery store, which was just north of my neighborhood, a place we felt at that time was utterly safe, we thought. We had the comfort of believing we lived in a safe neighborhood. The night before Thanksgiving, when it was dark, about eight or nine maybe that night, a guy came into the store and he Back then, grocery stores had a little office area that you could get to through a door or the little express lane was right there. And there was a little countertop, you know, where you put groceries. And if you needed to or if you had to or what this guy did was he jumped over that, just leapt over that um, express lane and into the booth. And he, had, he was crazy. And he had a really big pistol, big, actually big revolver with him. <clears throat> and he demanded money. And one of our, we had two employees at there at the time, kind of like an assistant manager and then a produce manager. They happened to be in there. And he told them to start putting money, getting all the money they could get and put it in bags. And they started to do that. And the kid that had switched with me happened at that moment, not realizing what was going on to need change for a 20. And he went with a $20 bill up to that booth area. And the guy was there and he looked at him and my friend was paralyzed, just stood there. And the guy pulled the 20 out of his hand. And at that second really, and he was the guy was distracted with my, my friend, the guy that replaced me. One of the guys tried to get out of the booth to get away. And the the guy turned and shot with a 44 Magnum revolver, the assistant manager, killing him instantly. And then he grabbed the money and he made his way out the door of the booth and another kid that did what I did, he was a package boy but would bring in grocery carts, he happened to be rounding the corner and the guy shot him. He survived. And the guy left. And in our neighborhood that night I was with another friend of mine 8 or 9 o'clock and we saw police cars rushing by and being curious kids, we went and followed them, and they were at my store, my grocery store, and I got out of his car, <clears throat> and I was allowed—I don't know why—to walk up to the store. It was already calmed down in there, and one of our older guys, who was like a stalker, came to the door and met me, and I said, "What happened?" And he said, Bill, we've been robbed. The man killed Ernest, and he wounded Rusty. And I found out the details of that later. And then when I worked in that store, in the days that followed, the man had not been caught. And they had reason to believe he would come back and rob it again. So all of us were worried about that. And so that happened, and I wasn't there. I don't know what would have happened, had it happened differently or not. I can tell you, and this may sound strange or weird, I don't know, but I'll tell you anyway, that I wondered during those years if part of my enchantment was a sort of protection Um, it seemed I had some close calls, not just that, but some other close calls, but I was always kind of okay. Not that life was easy as I've described to you, but I seemed to kind of be okay. I felt that I had that for years, actually. I think I lost it for a while and I got it back. That's just my perception. It's probably kooky, probably crazy to think that. But I'm just telling you, and I will talk more about that later. But while this robber, killer, scared me. Again, confirming all of these fears in me when I was a teenager. And by the way, let me just tell you, he robbed another one of the same brand of grocery stores in Dallas a few weeks later. And the police lay in wait. And when he came out, they got in a gunfight and they killed him. But anyway, while that incident, that thing that happened, bothered me, it was also the beginning of something. It was the beginning of me wanting to do something about being so afraid. And I could either just be afraid of everything and, in essence, just you know, stay at home and live my life in the shadow of my father or the shadow of my house, or I could try to do something about it. And the way I started to do something about it was, is a funny way, but I, here's what I did. One of the first things I did when I was just a little older, now keep in mind, I was from the suburbs of Dallas. So, this was not a rural area. There were not many cowboys running around, unless they were Dallas cowboys. Um, but when I went to college, I went to a college that was, well, Texas A&M. It was an agricultural school in its origin. And there were lots of cowboys from all over Texas that went there to study agriculture or to study something else, <clears throat> but they happened to be from little towns. And I started hanging around with them. And I knew I was not a good horseback rider. I was not good at any of it, but I wanted to learn about it, and I did. And it struck me that rodeoing, in other words, like riding a bareback horse in a rodeo, that was a little crazy, but it was certainly dangerous, and it just fit the bill for what I needed to try to overcome some fear. And so one summer, I decided that's what I would do. There was a little rodeo in southeast Texas. <clears throat> Didn't cost very much to enter, it was thirty-five dollars, which I used my little income to to enter it. And I did that not, you know, you're probably not gonna get killed doing that. <clears throat> it's very unlikely, but you might get hurt pretty good. <laughs> and I wanted to face something where I could in the immediate sense understand I could be in danger and to do it on purpose to try to overcome this fear and so I did and mostly it went well the last one I did the horse hated me as much as I was worried about him and he threw me off very quickly but I didn't come all the way off came up kind of on his rear end and he popped me up in the air and as I came down just dropping straight down from pretty high on right on my head, just straight like a pencil while right, it's eraser. <clears throat> he kicked me on the way down, which I'm sure I deserved, and I landed on my head and it knocked me out. <laughs> and the horse came back around for me, which is unheard of, and they told me he just had a bad day. <laughs> but he did. But anyway, he didn't stomp me. <laughs> but I but anyway, from that, I started the process of learning courage. And um, I, I did that because I had to start somewhere, so that's where I started. Not very many years after that, something happened that wasn't voluntary, but it was. it happened. It just so happened. I was in the same area of Texas, and I drove up. I was the first person to drive up on a head-on collision, to come upon the scene of a head-on collision. One of the cars was on fire in the engine area. The other was not. There were three people involved. They were horribly injured. Um, I think ultimately all three died, and I was the first one there. The car that was on fire, there was a man. He was unconscious. He was in the car, and his door was wedged shut, and his car was on fire, the engine area. And another guy stopped right after me, and I don't remember what we used. There was some... Maybe he had a crowbar or something. <clears throat> Somehow that we popped that door open, and we tried to carefully drag him out of that car before he burned up in the car. And that was a spontaneous thing. It was it was the right thing to do, and I did it because um, it was it was it needed to be done. It was creepy. There was horror, you know ghastly injuries, which I later when I began my other. career, I saw a lot of that, but at the time I hadn't. But anyway, that happened and I learned something from it. Um, I wanted to learn to be brave, not phony brave, not what so many people act like and then talk about not being afraid of something. Often when people talk about not being afraid of something, they're probably really afraid of it. (laughs) But anyway, so I became a prosecutor. My dad had been a prosecutor in Dallas, so a lawyer who prosecutes cases, you know, who sends people to trial and to probation or prison or whatever. And I did that. I prosecuted my first murder case when I was 23 years old. And a couple years after that or so, I got in a position to become a federal prosecutor in an area of Texas that had not had one. And I... I pretty quickly, with keeping in mind how I hated violent crime because of what hap- what I saw happen to my store and my friends at the store, <clears throat> I wanted to go after the, the worst, the most dangerous <clears throat> people that I could find. I wanted to deal with it directly, and I wanted to look at it directly. And I, through this time, determined that courage least to me, is doing something or taking a stand, or doing an act, not knowing how it will come out. It's not courage if you to jump in after the wind. It's jumping in, not knowing how deep the water is, and not knowing for sure that you'll get out. Now, that's courage. You think that Rosa Parks, if you know who that is, knew how that was going to come out for her? <laughs> uh, for that matter, Dr. Martin Luther King, do you think he knew um, how things would come out <clears throat> when he decided to take action? And that uh, Audie Murphy, the World War II most decorated soldier from just northeast of Dallas, Audie Murphy, he did things knowing that would likely be a very, very bad result. That's courage. He did it anyway. They did it anyway. <clears throat> So, when I began to prosecute, I would look right at them, you know, and particularly really, really bad people, and I would let them know that in this circumstance right now, I'm in charge. I'm not afraid of you. You need to be afraid of me. I did that so much that ultimately, there was a guy that had been convicted of murder that I prosecuted on some federal firearms charges and drug charges, and... I poked at him a little too much, I guess, in court. And when he got to prison, he told another inmate who later told me, that guy, the first thing he was going to do when he got out of prison was to come kill you. (laughs) You made such sport of him in front of everyone, and he thought he was so tough that he was going to kill you. And the person that told me that said, you know, he died just before he was supposed to be released. So, anyway, but don't you know that when I was doing that, when I was talking to that serial killer, when I was locating a victim by myself in the woods on a Friday afternoon, don't you know, do you know now and really understand that was the same little kid? That was the same, I know, I know it was. I knew it was, the same little boy who curled up on a mat outside the bathroom when his dad was inside like a little kitten, needing every bit, needing every bit of that security of having my dad right there and safe a few feet away. All along, that was that little boy that you've been hearing about. But I wanted to overcome fear if I could, and I wanted to learn courage I wanted to get past it because it was. It wasn't just holding me back; it was holding me. Period. It had me. So that's kind of how I did it. There's some other examples of that and some other stories you might be interested in hearing later. <clears throat> um, but for now, that's that's how I did it. I wanted to visit with you next time if. If it would work out, about um, about kids and love, um, and learning to love people, and uh, maybe how kids or teenagers understand love maybe better than adults do, and sometimes their love is more pure. But those are some thoughts. But I look forward to visiting with you next time. Thank you so much for listening.